Right, thanks so much for the readings, Marg. Friends, um, great to see you this morning. We are continuing, as we've heard, our series in the Fruit of the Spirit, and today we're looking at gentleness. Let me suggest that it's a virtue that many of us would love to see more of. I say that because at times this world can seem harsh. Now, to, to use some examples, let's turn to celebrities and social media for a moment. I think we can sort of see the effects of this sort of brutality very clearly. I wonder if you've noticed that. A prominent person says um, or shares the, the wrong opinion about whatever it is. And so quickly, this can turn into a really big, nasty pile-on as more and more people jump on and post insult after insult as they, they write things that things you'd, you'd never say to someone face-to-face, yet because there is this distance, people feel like they, they, they can do this. There's just no filter. It just, this comes out with the result that you know, every few months we have another public figure, another celebrity announcing that they too are leaving Instagram, that they too are taking a break from all of their social media platforms for an indefinite period of time. Why are they doing this? Well, in the words of comedian Pete Davidson, he he wrote, well, the internet is an evil place and it doesn't make me feel good. Uh, Megan Markle, she claims she was the most trolled person in the entire world and that it was almost unsurvivable. Or Ed Sheeran, he simply wrote that that one comment ruins your day. And so as we live in what people have termed sort of the age of outrage, where gentleness seems to be in short supply, that that is actually something that we can long for, gentleness in our life. And yet, as we sort of heard in the intro as well, while we might want gentleness for us, we don't necessarily want to be gentle ourselves. And that's because we do equate gentleness with weakness and we don't want to be weak. Now that does present a problem for us here this morning because as followers of the Lord Jesus, we are commanded to be gentle. The Apostle Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And so this is actually a fairly important topic for us, isn't it? Because like all of the other virtues that come from the fruit of the Spirit we're not called to gentleness just in some contexts. So we're not called to, to be gentle in certain circumstances at certain times. We're actually called to be gentle in every context, every circumstance at all times. And so we, we're going to have to get into this. What does the Bible mean by gentleness? How does it differ from weakness? And actually, why is it good? Why is it something that we should long for and to manifest in our lives? Well, let's take a look at this. What does the Bible mean by gentleness? Uh, let me suggest that in the Bible, gentleness is very much related to humility. We actually see these two, this pair, side by side throughout the Scriptures. So here are some examples. Consider Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. They've paired them there. There are others in the mix as well, but they've paired them there. Or again in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. 
In Ephesians 4.2, we've got the adjectival forms together. We've got be completely humble and gentle. Likewise, in Matthew 11.29, Jesus himself describes himself as being gentle and humble in heart. You can see there. And so really, the first thing we need to do this morning is really unpick these two and really zoom in on the exact nuance of both so we can really see what it is that we're talking about. And I'm actually going to start with humility. So that's where we'll start. Now, in both the New Testament and the Old Testament, humility is actually thinking yourself lower than others. So so thinking of yourself as lower than others. That's humility. We see that idea in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Paul there says, in humility, value others above yourselves. But note here that humility is not convincing yourself that you're not valuable. Okay, so that's not humility. It's not convincing yourself that everything that you've ever done is terrible, that you're hopeless. Um, that's not humility. That, that's low self-esteem. And that's a problem. And actually, the well-known quote by C.S. Lewis I think it's a bit of a help for us on this particular one. Lewis wrote that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So that's helpful. But at the same time, humility is not sort of trying to rid yourself of boastful thoughts either. It's not hitting the brakes when we find ourselves sort of um, telling others about our achievements and realising that we're actually skiting about what we've done or who we are or whatever. That's not humility either. That's modesty. And so what is humility? Well, it's not about how we think of ourselves in isolation from others. Um, It's not thinking of ourselves or our achievements or our skills or who we are, whatever, in isolation from others. It's actually thinking of ourselves in relation to others, right? It's how we think of ourselves in relation to others. And so to to fill that out some more, maybe we can put it like this. To, To be humble is to consider others, no matter who they are, to be valuable, to be worthy of respect. So again, that's humility in the Bible. Gentleness is is very much related to humility, because let me suggest gentleness is actually just humility in action. Okay, That's, that's a big point. Gentleness is humility in action. So it's not just thinking that others are worthy of your respect, it's reflecting that as you engage with them, as you engage with those whom we might say are lower than you. Now, what what do I mean by lower there? Uh, It could be lower in a formal sense, in like a hierarchical structure, so employer, employee, something like that. But it could also be informal too. Uh, But whatever that structure, gentleness is seen when one in a position of power, considers those who are lower to be just as valuable. Now, this is quite difficult for us, a bit of a side note really, but um, as we distinguish between humility and um, as an attitude and gentleness as that attitude expressed, which is what the Bible does, that's really not necessarily how we use these words today in our modern English. Um, In today's English, Uh, the word humility tends to cover both of those concepts, doesn't it? It covers attitude and action, whereas gentleness, again, it it doesn't quite match how the Bible uses it. In today's English, it can simply refer to weakness. It can be defined as a a softness of touch. 
But again, that's not so much how the Bible is using these words. Humility is the attitude and and gentleness is that attitude expressed. Now, I don't want to dwell this too long, but that's actually why we do see some headaches popping up for our translators, right? So um, you can see this in James chapter 3, verse 13. Um, There the, the translators have decided to render the Greek word for gentleness as humility. You can see it there in the humility that comes from wisdom. Um, again, that, that sort of better captures how we use this word today. Okay, But look, enough of that. The point is simply that often today when we speak of humility, we actually use it in terms of attitude and action, but actually the action part, that's what the Bible means by gentleness. And so let's zoom in on gentleness now. And actually what should be obvious already is that again in the Bible, Gentleness is not weakness. To be gentle doesn't mean that we don't have power. Uh, It doesn't mean that we aren't strong. It doesn't mean that we don't have authority. But rather, if you are gentle, then you're engaging with someone who is lower than you from a position of authority and power. You're lowering yourself to that person from a higher position. And so it's not the same as being weak. And I actually love this example. I've never... um, I heard it so often back in the day. I heard it all the time in sermons and books and so on, for whatever. Um, I came across it recently again in written form and they seem to have more details and and so on. So I I take it that this is the authoritative authoritative sort of outworking of this example. But it it happened in Detroit. Uh, Three men caught a bus looking for a fight... They spotted a potential target sitting at the back of the bus and the group heckled him. They insulted him. They did everything that they could to try and provoke this person to to start this fight. But the man at the back, he didn't acknowledge them and it continued until he eventually got up from his seat. It was actually his stop. And when he did that, when he stood up, the true size of this man was revealed. He was much bigger than he had looked. And as the man made his way off the bus, he handed the group his business card and it simply said, Joe Lewis, boxer. (laughs) You may not know Joe Lewis, I don't really know him, recall what he did, but he was heavyweight boxing champion of the world from 1937 through to 1949. But that's gentleness there. He could have easily used his strength to teach those kids a lesson. But he chose not to showcase his superior strength for their benefit. So actually, gentleness in the Bible is not something that the weak can do. It requires that you lower yourself from a position of power. And so if that's gentleness, then why as Christians, why as followers of the Lord Jesus, should we pursue it? Well, One way to think about the virtues that come from the Spirit, one way to really get at their beauty, I think, is to consider the opposite. So what's the... We're talking about virtues. What's the corresponding vice? And so what's the opposite of gentleness? I think it's kind of pride, right? It's, It's feeling superior to others. It's acting superior to others. And actually, that is ugly, right? That's one reason to pursue gentleness, because pride is just so ugly, it's actually so damaging, actually. We see that 
in Galatians. We see how gentleness is actually a fix to pride in Galatians in the passage that Mark read for us. So let's take a look at that. It would be excellent if we could all open up to Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Um, to fill it out a little bit more, it, it's a context where we're being told how to rebuke a fellow Christian who's fallen into sin. And what the Apostle tells his readers to do is to restore that person gently. So to do it gently. We might wonder why emphasise gentleness in that scenario? Well, the Apostle reveals why as we keep reading. He says, but watch yourselves... Or you may also be tempted. When you think at that point, well, well, tempted to do what? To commit the same sin as that other Christian? Well, no, actually, it's not the same sin that you need to worry about. It's a different sin. It's actually the sin of pride. See, as we confront another about their sin, The danger is that we actually start to look down upon them. We start to think less of that person. You understand how that happens, right? Now, just just think about, you notice a sin in another. And you consider approaching that person about that sin. A sin that actually you personally are not committing. A sin that perhaps you personally have never struggled with. A sin that perhaps you personally can't even imagine why someone would do that. And so as you you start to wonder, uh, why would that person do that? What is wrong with that person? You start to think, well, that person must be seriously messed up to do that. Well, that's not humility, because you've lost all respect for them in your thinking, and actually you, you won't be gentle with them either, because you reflect that disdain as you speak to them. Because there will be no compassion in your words. You'll probably end up speaking harshly to them, such that maybe they will then walk away wondering, well, why did you ever speak to them? Was it simply to make them feel bad? Was it simply to sort of gloat over them? Well, there in verse 2, Paul articulates a better way to engage. He, He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So rather than accusing demanding change, walking off into the sunset. And rather than being sort of totally oblivious to how your words might have impacted that individual, instead we're caught on to lower ourselves and to engage with them in the most helpful way. And that's a really key point as we're thinking about gentles. How do we engage with others in the most helpful way? So it's not acting superior. It's not giving this, the impression that, that this person has done something that, that you yourself could never do. Not at all, actually. We acknowledge that we too are sinners, right? That we too make mistakes. That we too get things wrong. And even if that particular sin is not something that we personally struggle with, Well, actually, we realise that actually we still do struggle with sin. It's just in a different form. And indeed, Paul goes on 
who directly attack those who might think that they are superior. He writes, if anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. But why is that? Well, he goes on, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. So what the Apostle is saying there is that pointing at another sin and feeling good about yourself as you do that, because you don't happen to struggle with that particular sin, well, that's actually not appropriate for a Christian. Why is that? Well, well, God doesn't mark on the bell curve. You know, being a Christian is not about being above average, being better than most of the rest. That's not how we're accepted by God. Sin, any sin, ruins our relationship with God such that if any of us are to be saved, we'll be saved on the same basis as everyone else. And it's not us. It's the Lord Jesus and his death for us. And so again, gloating over another's sin, feeling superior because of another's sin, that's pride and it has no place in the Christian life. Rather, we are to pursue gentleness. But why else pursue gentleness? Why else? Let me suggest another reason is because it actually works. What I mean by that? Well, think more broadly for a moment. So not just when it comes to confronting another about sin, but, but more broadly, I'm fairly convinced that humility expressed through gentleness works. Uh, that was perhaps one of the more surprising findings from Jim Collins' landmark book, Good to Great. Um, some of you, I'm sure, will know that book. Um, but in it, Collins analysed a select number of American companies. So we're talking about in the business world. He looked at companies that had financially outperformed the broader market by three times or more in a 15-year period. There's actually just 11 companies that made the list. And when his team sort of looked into what set these companies apart, what, what made them different from all the others, they identified two distinct leadership characteristics. The first is perhaps unsurprising, a steadfast determination to grow the company. So that's not surprising, right? But the second, which took all of them by surprise, was humility. That's interesting, isn't it? Let's have a listen to to what Collins and his team said about that discovery. He said, we were surprised, shocked really, to discover the type of leadership required for turning a good company into a great one compared to high-profile leaders with big personalities who make headlines and become celebrities, the good-to-great leaders seem to have come from Mars. Self-effacing, quiet, reserved, even shy. These leaders are a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. They're more like Lincoln and Socrates than Patton. And so humility expressed through gentleness to others it actually seems to work. But I suspect you actually recognise that in your own lives. Think for a moment about the type of person who's influenced you the most. Who is it, right? Now, there is a place for people with big personalities, um, the visionary, the, the charismatic leader, the Elon Musks, the Steve Jobs. But actually, 
even in business, over and over again, the research shows that the type of leader who gets the most out of their employees, for example, it's the humble leader. It's the one whom, when things go wrong, they admit to their mistakes. They, they take responsibility. And when things go right, they praise others. And so again, ponder it for yourselves for a moment. Who's influenced you the most? I would actually be very surprised if it wasn't someone who expressed humility through gentleness toward you. But let's come back to this specific question of rebuking someone. Why might gently rebuking not only guard against pride, but also be more likely to succeed? Why is it more likely to work? Well, actually, I personally know quite a few, thankfully not at this church, but who seem to give up on Jesus because, in their opinion, other Christians were just too harsh with them. I wonder if you know people like that. Uh, They were keen members, let's say, of the youth group, and I'll use that example because that's sometimes the space where this happens. Uh, Keen members uh, until they did something wrong. They made a mistake, they were foolish, and they knew that. But their leader, rather than lowering themselves in humility and speaking to them in gentleness, they kind of did the opposite, actually. How could you do that? I'm so angry with you. You are a massive disappointment. And so their leader, rather than being gentle and coming down to meet them where they were at, instead of humbling themselves, they humiliated the other. It didn't work, and it it often doesn't work. That person didn't walk away restored, they just walked away. Again, humility expressed in gentleness, it works, right? Gentleness is a good that we should seek to to really pursue. Well, how do we do that? How do we foster gentleness in our lives? Well, the place to start is really fostering humility. Again, Gentleness flows from humility, and so how do we foster humility? Let me suggest that the Bible gives us, I think, three key truths, at least three key truths, but three that I want to focus on this morning that help us to be humble. Our status as creatures, our status as sinners, and then the gift of God. And so our status as creatures. Um, One of my favourite parts of Scripture were the words that Mark read for us this morning from Job. They come after Job has kind of been complaining to God. He just didn't think that he'd been been treated particularly well by God. Let's hear again what God says to Job from chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with, with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you. And you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. And it was read for us this morning. It just keeps going, doesn't it? I'm not going to comment too much on those words. But the moment that we realize that this world is not all about us, 
that in fact we are the creatures, not the creator. And actually we don't always know what God is doing or why he's doing what he's doing. And actually sometimes we can't possibly know that. Well, actually that should lead to profound humility. As again, we remember that we are creatures, not the creator. That's the first key truth. The second, our status as sinners. Again, I don't want to say too much about this. Um, It came up earlier when we were thinking about how to rebuke others gently. But I do just want to add two more things. First, to those who aren't Christian yet, uh, to those who perhaps think that actually they kind of do okay and that actually if they were to come face to face with God, they think that they could actually be good friends. Um, Let me simply ask you this. If you don't meet your own standards... What makes you think that you meet God's? Uh, The reality is we all sin, right? And actually God and sin do not mix. You can't be friends. And so if you're going to be friends with God, you need to be cleansed. You need to be forgiven. And so we've got to remember our status as sinners. But second, perhaps one way to help us remember this is to stop comparing ourselves to others. Stop doing that, but instead gaze again upon the holiness of God. Again, another of my favourite passages is Isaiah chapter 6. Hear these words in verse 5 when Isaiah found himself in the presence of God. He said, woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And so we'll become more aware of our own sin as we consider not the failures of others, but as we consider the holiness of God. Or as, again, C.S. Lewis again wrote, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down... You cannot see something that is above you. So remembering that we are creatures, remembering that we are sinners, is going to help us to grow in our humility, which we will then express in gentleness. But third, and I will spend a little bit longer on this one, is the gift of God. I kind of want to do a deep dive on this one because I suspect that we have no idea just how revolutionary This idea really is. This biblical truth that God gives a priceless gift to those who who simply do not deserve it. This truth was revolutionary. It actually transformed the first century world and it gave us the world that we have today. It actually meant that humility was no longer considered a vice, but humility became a virtue. Let's take a, a bit of a look at this. We won't go for too long, but I actually think it's really important that we look at this. Let me set the scene. When, when scholars talk about the first century Roman world in an anthropological sense, they, they talk of it as being a shame society. And what, by, what they mean by that is that in, in contrast to today's Western world where issues of innocence and guilt sort of dominate our thinking, 
where the, the question of who's in the right and who's in the, in the wrong are really primary concerns for us. The first century world was very different. In an honour-shame society where, where so much of life was spent trying to avoid being shamed, trying to avoid dishonour. That's what it's like. Um, you haven't experienced a society like that, and I haven't, I'll be honest. So I, I read up about it and I sort of learn and I try to understand um, but one example that, that pops up from time to time is, is this one. They say, let's say that a husband has a wife who has committed adultery. What would be the biggest issue for the husband in that context? We might today think, well, probably the sense of betrayal, um, probably dealing with the pain of being wronged, sort of between the husband and wife at that point. Well, in an honour shame society, by far the biggest issue with that was the shame that would fall upon the husband. Interesting. The husband would be dishonoured, disgraced in, in the whole community. So that's an honour-shame society, right? Very different to what we have today. Again, in such a world, boasting was good. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Assuming that what you were saying was true, boasting was good. Boasting was normal. Boasting was actually expected. Of course, you'd tell others about your achievements. Uh, The historian Josephus is just a classic with this. In his autobiography, it's, um, it's cringeworthy. He goes on for page after page after page, um, saying how good he's was, just telling everyone about his achievements. It's cringeworthy to our ears, but that's the world in which he lived. That's what was expected. That's what was done. It was par for the course in an honor, shame, culture. And so humility and gentleness that flows from it, well actually that was considered a sign of weakness. It was a voice, um, a vice, sorry, to be avoided. So that to be labelled as humble, that was a put down. That's the usage that we have right throughout um, the literature outside of the biblical writings. It's all negative, all of it. Aristotle Now, he wrote that people are also calm toward those who humble themselves toward them and do not contradict them, for they seem to admit being inferiors, and inferiors are afraid. Again, that that's over and over and over again in the ancient literature. Humility, it's bad. You do not want that. You do not want to be humble. And so what did change? How do we move from that honour-shame society to our world today? How did humility become a virtue? Well, actually, it was the gift of God. You think, well, how so? Well, at this point, we've got to understand how giving of gifts worked in the Roman world. Gifts in the ancient world, that they were always given with the expectation that that would be returned. And this way, gifts sort of tied people together. Now, that's important in an honour-shame society because what it meant was that you really need to be very careful about from whom you accepted a gift. You didn't want to be associated or linked by gift-giving with someone who was dishonourable. And likewise, you would only ever give a gift to someone who was esteemed, such that if if an emperor accepted your gift, that was a great honour to you, the gift-giver. Well, academic John Barclay wrote this to sort of fill this out a bit more. He said, but it also concerns the donor's social reputation. Gifts tied persons and groups together. The giving and receiving a gift constituted a social bond 
For that reason, one might refuse a gift, wary of association with a disreputable giver. And as a donor, one would be careful to give gifts only to those recognised to be in some sense worthy of them. So again, what changed? Why is humility now a virtue? Why is boasting frowned upon? Why is giving gifts to the, the down and the lowly? Why is that actually a noble thing to do? Well, again, as historians are increasingly telling us, the answer is actually Jesus. For in Jesus, God gave us a priceless gift that we didn't deserve. A gift like that makes absolutely no sense in the ancient world. Why would God give sinners a priceless gift? That makes no sense. Why would God humiliate himself for the lowly? Well, the simple reason is because that is what God is like. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 10, 45. And remember how countercultural these words were. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So God serves the weak. God gifts the lowly. Because that's who God is. Recall Philippians chapter 2 from verse 6. We're told that Jesus, who being in very nature God... Oh, that's quite small, isn't it? Sorry about that. Um, Hopefully you can make out some of that. I'll read it to you anyway. But Jesus, who being in very nature God... Let me say it's actually better to take it as Jesus because he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Now, as bizarre as that would have sounded to someone living in an honour-shame society, dying for others, that doesn't diminish God's character. Even though that was the most shameful death in the first century world, Jesus did it and he did it for others because that is what God is like. Which is to say that rather than being an embarrassment, His death on the cross for others is actually the perfect expression of his perfect character. We might even say that there is nothing more godlike than dying on a cross for others. And from that, that incredible gift of God, the world has been changed. Changed how we think about humility. Changed how we think about boasting changed how we think about serving others. And so, friends, let's be humble. Let's express that in gentleness. Because we are creatures. We sin. But we've also been given an incredible gift. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, In the Lord Jesus, you have shown us a better way. A better way to live by not looking down on others. By not longing for the opportunity to to push others down so that we ourselves might look good. 
Rather, in the Lord Jesus, you have shown us a better way. Help us to be humble in our thinking and gentle in our actions. In the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.